Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. to please help me welcome Senior Product Manager Trish Sharma. She's going to share her insights today on what makes a powerful product launch and how we really evaluate uh, the efforts around your launch to ensure that it is the most successful that it can be. So I can't wait for you to meet Trish. She's a seasoned product professional. She's got a real passion for identifying customer needs and building solutions that really resonate. So she's held tenure with companies like Meta, Grubhub, Coindesk, and she's been a really integral part of many large launches, all the way from development to end of life. She's got a special focus towards defining and evaluating metrics. So I know that that's a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts. So I think that you're going to especially love that. So welcome, Trish. I cannot wait for our group to meet you, and I am going to pass the reins right over. Awesome. Thank you so much, Georgina, for that intro. Um, quick thumbs up that you can hear me, Georgina. I can see you. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, I'll just give myself a, I'll give a quick introduction before we jump into the presentation. So like Georgina said, I've been a product manager since 2016, so I've been a while now, about seven years. I love it. Product is near and dear to my heart. I Love everything about product from solving user problems to launching. And that's what we're talking about today. So really excited to share my insights with you. Like Georgina said, I've been uh, led many, many successful launches and as well as ones that aren't successful, right? It's all about what we learned from them. Over the past seven years, I launched the new coindesk.com, which was literally a zero to one project, which is a brand new website. I've launched features for Grubhub um, that people you know use that are near and dear to my heart. I've launched things in VR at Meta. So really excited to be here and share my insights with you. Quick agenda um, about what we're kind of talking about today. So first, you know, we're talking about launches. So what is a product launch? Um, kind of talk through some examples with you guys. We'll talk about the different phases of a launch. So what happens in pre-launch? What do you need to do in actual launch? What do you do in post-launch? And then we have a special focus, like Georgina said, on really how do you measure success of a launch, right? Like you go, you launch it. Okay, what's next? Like, how do you know that it was successful? We're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to talk a lot about metrics. Then we're going to go through a kind of an interactive case study where you guys will be able to live answer some questions in chat. It's going to be really fun based on what you've learned. And then we'll jump into Q&A. So um, that's kind of the agenda for today. I will try not to bore you too much. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cool. So what is a product launch, right? Uh, simply process in which companies bring new or updated products to the market. So for example, right, new products. Think something like, oh, when Facebook first launched or when TikTok first launched, right? That's a new product that we're launching into the market. Updated products is something like, okay, you know, what's something that's a new feature to a product? For example, when Netflix 
launched watch parties during COVID or when Spotify launched listening parties, things like that, right? So it's an update to an already existing product or feature. A product launch can mean both of these things. And I've done both in my career, right? Launch a completely brand new, what we like to call zero to one product or you know, a 1.2 or 1.4 updates to an existing product. And we'll talk a lot about that. So there are three kind of key launch phases and you know there's there's different methodologies to this. Some people like to say, oh, there's seven phases, eight phases, but really all the phases can be up into these three buckets. So there's pre-launch, which is essentially everything you do before the launch to get ready for it. There's the execution launch phase, which is when the launch actually happens. And then there's post-launch strategy, which is where you kind of analyze what happens in launch and you iterate on your product. So we're focusing a lot on launch and post-launch today, but to kind of talk about you know, each of these phases, pre-launch is where you kind of do all the stuff that you do to prepare to launch a product, right? So you set goals for your product. You do a lot of user research, competitor analysis. You do stakeholder XFN alignment to make sure everybody at your company or you know, if you're launching your own thing is aligned on what you're actually doing. You do a lot of prototyping and customer validation, right? So this is where if you're launching, let's say an app, or something, you have prototypes of this and you use user testing for people to play around with it and get feedback on that. All of that stuff is pre-launch because you haven't actually put anything into the market, right? You're also going to establish your marketing strategy and launch timeline at this part. And these are probably some of the most important things you're gonna do during pre-launch. We'll talk a little bit about a go-to-market strategy on the next slide, so I don't wanna go into too much detail, but when you're establishing your market marketing strategy, you're really thinking about who is your user that you're going after? And how do you make sure that they are knowing about your product when it launches, that they have all the information they need to you know, work on it successfully or use it successfully? Launch timeline is essentially, you know, okay, this is when we're going to launch. This is when we're going to you know, kind of collect data for the launch. And we're going to call the launch an end here. And this is where we're going to evaluate the data. The release of the product is actually what happens during the launch. And like I said, during this time, we'll talk about this a lot, but the most important thing you can do after launching a product is making sure you're gathering feedback signals and analysis so that you know how the product is doing right in the market. And post-launch is really where you evaluate those key performance indicators. We'll talk about this a little later. You optimize your marketing strategy to see if anything needs to be changed. And most importantly, you iterate your product based on feedback, right? When you first launch a product, it's not going to be the be-all, end-all. It's not going to be like, oh, I launched this product in the market and I'm done. No, you're always constantly iterating and improving on those products. Even when a product is in the growth and maturity phase, we're still making updates to it, right? Like Instagram is still releasing new things. That's a mature product. Okay, cool. So let's quickly touch on what a go-to market strategy is. So like I said, I'm a product manager. I'm not a product marketing manager, but I work very closely with the product marketing manager when we're going through launch. Depending on what company you're at, you could be the person responsible for the go-to market strategy if you're at a small company and you're the product manager, or if you work at a big company, like when I worked at Grubhub and Meta, you're actually working with a designated marketing person who's a product marketing manager, and they're the ones really taking your feedback and creating the go-to market strategy. Either way, it's a good thing to know what that is. So essentially what that is, is strategizing around, you know, what challenges will the market present? Basically, you're thinking about answering the questions, right? Who, what, why, where, when, and how, right? So who, who is this product targeted towards? Like, who is my demographic or my key user group? For example, um, if I'm launching, you know, a new product, right? And I know that something like what TikTok did, right? They knew Gen Z had the attention span of, I think it was something like eight seconds, right? So they said, no offense to any Gen Zers out there. So they said, you know, knowing this attention span, this is our key demographic because we know that 
these users are, you know, need something quick, right? Like maybe something longer form like YouTube isn't for them. What is, you know, pretty self-explanatory what you're launching? Why is, you know, what is the need in the market that you're solving? What is the something in the environment that you're like, okay, there's no products geared towards people who have short attention spans. So that's why, that's what we're solving here. Where is essentially what market, right? So are you doing US market? Is it a global market? Is it not really location dependent, but more a certain demographic? When is your launch date, right? When are we launching this? And how essentially means, you know, what is the kind of channel that you're launching this? Is it an app? Is it a website, et cetera? So if you kind of put together a marketing strategy that answers all of these questions, right? That is what a go-to market strategy, as easy as it is. And I think that people sometimes kind of overcomplicate this, but if you're answering those six questions, right? The simple who, what, why, where, when, and how, that is your go-to market strategy. Some of the things that you'll do during a go-to market strategy, like we mentioned, you'll decide a launch date, if it's something that it really depends on who your customer is, like if it's an everyday, you know, end customer you're launching to the whole world, like Facebook, then yeah, you're going to want to create promotional, you know, content, press releases, et cetera. But if it's a, you know, business to business product, like uh, something like, I don't know, like a trading thing that investment banks would use, then you would only press release to those people, right? You would want to make sure you set goals. And we're going to talk about that really shortly and outline any risks in your go-to market strategy. So now we're going to talk about, and this is kind of the meat of the presentation, on how you really measure success of a launch. So before we do that, let's talk about what a KPI is. I'm sure a lot of you already know this, but product KPIs are actually a little bit different than business KPIs. So it stands for Key Performance um, Indicator, and it's a measure of performance. Essentially, it's a quantifiable data point that an organization will track, or a person, if you're a person launching a product, and analyze to gauge if the product is successful. It tracks product progress towards product or business goals. And here we're going to talk in the context of product KPIs. So let's say product goals. And honestly, the layman's terms for KPI is a way to measure things that matter the most. Essentially, a key performance indicator is something that's like, this is something that we know if we're not getting good numbers on this, that we have bad signal on our product, right? So you wouldn't have like 50 KPIs. You would maybe have three or four or five that are like, these are the key metrics that we're trying to move. These are the things that matter the most to us. For example, right? Like, let's say I'm Spotify and I'm launching podcasts, right? What are some things that are going to be key performance indicators for me that matter the most? Am I going to care about like, you know, how many users are listening? Yes, I'm definitely going to care about that. Am I going to care, you know, at the start, how many users are sharing this with their friends or posting it on social media? No, like that's probably a secondary measure and maybe a key performance indicator for later. So now we're going to go into kind of one of my favorite frameworks. I'm a data nerd, if you couldn't tell, for um, setting, you know, how do we set launch metrics? How do we set success metrics? So the framework, as you can see on the left, is essentially four steps. It's called goals, actions, metrics, and evaluations, or the game method. I know this is also a framework that people use um, in interview questions, by the way. But for me, like, I'm really talking about this in the context of product launches. So if you're going to, you know, go use this framework in an interview, like that's fine, but this isn't really specific to that. That's a whole other conversation. So, okay. The game method goals, right? So the first thing you want to think about when you're setting metrics is what is the actual goal of this product? Now goals can have a lot of different meanings, right? You can have user goals, you can have business goals, and all of these are okay. But at the end of the day, you're really going to want to land on like one kind of what is the actual goal of this? A good way to do that, what I kind of like doing is thinking about the product, thinking about the users and thinking about what value it brings to those users to help define my goal. A good example, right? Let's think about Facebook Marketplace, right? 
who are the users of Facebook Marketplace? There's people who are sellers and there's people who are buyers. How do people get value from the marketplace? A seller gets value when they're able to show their listing to way more people than they ever could, like in the real world, right? Because Facebook has billions of users and they get exposure to their product, you can sell it better. How does a user, a buyer get value? Buyers get value when they are getting discount items probably for things that they maybe, you know, would have to buy at wholesale price instead. And so they get value when they get to connect with sellers and see like, oh, you know, this Peloton bike is on sale, right? So what is the actual overall goal of Facebook Marketplace, thinking about the value it brings to both users? Essentially, what it's doing is connecting, right? Connecting sellers with buyers to basically enhance the, the, um, you know, buying, right? So basically, what is the goal of Facebook Marketplace? It's to connect sellers with buyers uh, who are interested in their products to, in the end goal of creating a purchase, right? That's like your high level goal. And then you derive the metrics from that. Next thing you want to talk about is actions. So once you have your goal, right, what are the different actions that you want various users to take? These these actions could be anything from activation. So going through our same example, right? Let's just keep rolling with the Facebook marketplace because we're talking about it. So going through our same example, some actions, right? A user can open Facebook marketplace for the first time, right? They can uh, buy a product. They can message a seller. They can comment on a product. They can share a listing. What are the things that sellers can do? They can create a seller account, right? Because you need to do that before you can sell. They can, um, you know, list a product. They can message sellers back. They can meet uh, buyers back. They can meet with buyers, et cetera. And the goal of kind of this phase is you don't need to write like every single little action they can do, but it's more that you want it to be Semi-exhaustive, but comprehensive. Comprehensive. So you want to think about, you know, acquisition and activation, which is kind of the first like thing. It's like, how does a user get activated on the product? Engagement and retention. So are they coming back? Are they using it again? Are they listing more things? Are they buying more things? And then monetization and revenue. So, you know, if Facebook does get a certain percentage of like the profits of this, then, you know, how do we kind of make sure that that's happening more? So these are kind of the different things that you would look at in actions. Um, And like I said, you don't really need to make a super exhaustive list. But again, back to our whole thing about the KPIs, right? What are the things that matter the most? What are the actions that matter the most, right? So you care if someone's buying something, you care if someone's listing something, and that's probably the majority of what you care about here. All right, next step. So now you're going to take those actions and you're kind of going to derive them into metrics, right? So this is the fun part for me at least, where you kind of think about what actions, you know, are really important to your product succeeding and you derive those into metrics. So back to our Facebook marketplace example, right? Like if we're thinking about something like, oh, we want the users to buy things, like then what is a metric that comes to mind, right? Like number of uh, purchases, right? Per user or total number of purchases, total number of listings to manage like the health of the marketplace. What is the gross market value of all the listings? Because you care about the types of products that people are listing, things like that. There are a few things like you need to kind of think about to make your metric concrete. And I think this is where a lot of KPIs fail. So let's run through them, right? First, when you think about your number, like Is it a number? Is it a percentage? Is it a ratio? Is it an average? Like, what is the actual thing that you're looking for, right? For example, if you want to know the types of things people are listing on Marketplace, would you want to look at the total value of all the items in Marketplace? Or would you want to look at an average value? Probably an average value, right? The total value isn't really going to tell you that much. Second thing, you want to know at what time frame. 
Are you looking at these metrics daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? For something like Marketplace, you'll probably want to look at them week over week to start and then maybe monthly because you know that's a good way to kind of understand user behavior. A daily cadence might be something that's way too frequent and you wouldn't actually see any trends, right? So you need to really think about what time cadence it makes sense to track your metrics. Second thing is in an example like that we're doing right now with like both user side, the two-sided marketplace, like sellers and buyers, oftentimes when people are setting KPIs, they forget about that. And they'll literally only say things related to buying, right? So, oh, like total number of like, like sold, like, you know, listings or like total number of things that are bought, but we're not looking at the number of sellers. We're not looking at the activation rate of selling and, you know, how that's going. And that's something that, you know, if you don't have sellers in the marketplace, it's not going to be a good marketplace. So remembering that there's a two-sided market and making sure that you account for that. Lastly, a lot of things, a lot of time, what people forget to do is set a North Star, right? So you basically need to think about out of all these metrics that we have now, right? We've done our actions, we've done our metrics, we've got this great list. What is the metric? What is the most important one? And sometimes you'll look at your list and you'll be like, oh no, I don't have it. And you need to think about it. Sometimes it's a combination of a few metrics. It really depends. And we're going to go through an example, but that's like what your North Star is. So for example, right, um, back to our, you know, lovely Facebook marketplace example. So if you're thinking about, okay, what would my North Star be? What was the value that we talked about in the beginning, right? What was that goal? We want to connect buyers with sellers. What action is that showing that that connection is there? Is it a message? Maybe not because the seller may never respond. You know, is it a comment? Probably not because again, the seller may never respond. It's a purchase, right? So number of purchases, because that moment shows that the buyer and seller connected and they bought something. So that is the moment that shows the value that both user groups are getting. And that's why that's our North Star. So that's kind of how you set the KPIs, right? And again, like you're not only going to have one metric, you're going to have your North Star metric, you're going to have metrics that support it. So that's kind of the metric section. And now we're at the last part, evaluations. So how do you evaluate whether the metric is a good metric or not, right? So there's a few different things you want to look at here. First, you want to look at, you know, are these, does this metrics that I set, does this roll up to the actions and goals we talked about? So like I just said with the Facebook Marketplace example, that North Star metric very much relates back to the goal we said because it shows the value that both sides of the users are getting. The next thing you want to think about is counter metrics here. How could, you know, this metric be gamed, right? Could this metric be something that is gamed or skewed a certain way? And what are the things we need to track to make sure that's not happening? For example, right, in food delivery, like, let's say, you know, we see the number of orders going up and we're like, oh, this is really exciting. Like, it's a good thing for our company at Grubhub here. We see a lot of, a lot of orders going up. But what we didn't see was that there was also a large number of canceled orders going up. So that's a good counter metric, right? Because it shows, can it be gamed? Absolutely, because if a bunch of people are just putting in orders and canceling them, that's not actually benefiting our business. So that is one of the most important things you can do here in the evaluation stage is making sure that your you know, metrics are, again, rolling up to your actions and your goals, setting counter metrics and making sure that you have a, a wide variety of metrics. For example, maybe you, know, you want something for activity Activation, acquisition, retention, et cetera. I think there's like, there's one called the ARM framework that you could kind of go through. But for me, it's really just what I like to do is thinking about every stage a user would go through and making sure I have a metric for that, right? So it's signing on to Facebook Marketplace. Okay, number of users that have signed on to Facebook Marketplace. Okay, buying their first thing. How many times do they come back, et cetera. So essentially just tracking things at every stage to know that you've covered the wide variety of them. So those are all the things you're going to do in the evaluation stage. It's really about trade-offs. 
So once you go through that, right, you're pretty much done. Yeah, you've got your launch metrics, you've got your success metrics, and now in the post-launch phase, we're going to evaluate them. So I thought it would be fun to kind of go through a case study with what you just learned and no answer is wrong as we go through this. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to go through the game, game framework for an example that we have here. And at each section, I'll kind of pause and let you guys type in what you think it is in the chat and we'll go through how I would answer this question or how I would kind of, you know, pick success metrics for this. So the example we have today is DoorDash. So let's say, you know, I, this feature exists, obviously, but let's say, you know, we're launching this for the first time, right? We're launching the cuisine ribbon, which I have circled here, which is essentially where a user can filter by the cuisine. So let's say, oh, I'm craving pizza. I click on pizza and then I see a list of the restaurants that are associated with this cuisine. So we're launching this new feature, brand new. We are going through the KPI setting phase now. How would we define a successful launch for this feature? So let's go through our framework, right? The first thing is the goal. What is the goal of this feature? Throw it into the chat. And I'll put in here, you know, I'll remind you guys, remember that this is a two-sided marketplace. There are restaurants, right? Or actually three-sided if you really want to, you know, get complicated. There are restaurants, there are drivers, and there are the end users that are ordering stuff. So make sure you're thinking about the user groups while you're putting in your goals. I see some answers starting to come in already. Um, I encourage nice. folks to... Continue to uh, put yours in there for the um, the cuisine feature on on DoorDash. Okay, so um, uh, using using orders uh, through those filters, um, the goal could be getting more restaurants to get orders, uh, completing a higher percentage of successful orders, um, shortening the time from log on to order. Uh, another goal: help users. I like that. I like that one too. Um, help users find their product of interest uh, quickly um, in an image-based search and recollection. Nice. I like um, that. Increasing the number of uh, repeat customers um, who are going back to the same seller, right? So, so becoming a regular of one particular um, spot. Really, really wonderful answers in here. I There's so many, I can't even read all of them here. Um, <laughs> Couple more and then I'll show them what I was thinking. These are all um, great guys. It's like clear that you really are. You yeah, are I love experts. this. <laughs> um, ah, I like this one. Getting restaurants to segment and identify their cuisine. Um, so pushing. Okay, plus one person for saying ah. restaurants because what was all of those answers lacking in my mind? I'm like, nobody's thinking about the restaurants here. Great job. Great ah. job. Yeah, really good one. Okay, let's see. Um, let's see what uh, you would add to that. Cool. So awesome, guys. I'm looking at your answers and they all are great. I think, again, like there are benefits here for the user. There are benefits here for the restaurant. And you guys did a great job of putting in your thoughts. So love it. So what I had here, so let's go through the framework that I gave you guys, right? Think about the users. Think about the value that each get from it. So users, right? There are restaurants, right? They get extra exposure for the type of cuisine they have, right? So let's say I'm an Italian restaurant. If someone clicks Italian, I'm now getting extra exposure, right? So that's kind of my value. End user, I'm the person ordering food. I get exposure to new cuisines. And I think somebody already said this, but they get to filter by what they want to order quickly, right? So let's say I already know I'm in the mood for Chinese food. I can filter on it. I see a list of restaurants much faster than me typing in Chinese or whatever I want, right? So those are kind of the benefits from each side. And great job, guys, on the end user stuff, because essentially what you were saying is exactly what I said. So great job. So Northstar, right? What is my goal? Basically, I want to give users a way to find and filter by cuisines quickly, which in turn will create more orders and allow restaurants to get more exposure. 
So you see how my goal has both users and restaurants in there. That's a good goal because I've gotten to two-sided market. But great job, guys. We're going to move on to step two and we're going to do it again. So action. Thinking about both the restaurants and the uh, end user, what are some actions that you'd be interested in them doing with this product? Throw it in the chat. So this is the specific behaviors that you are looking for people to perform inside the app. Correct. I'll give them an example. So um, one action a user can do is click on, you know, click on a cuisine, right? So click on Asia and click on fast food. Another thing a user could do is order, right? Things like that. What could a restaurant do? They could choose to list their restaurant in, as one of these categories. Things okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. We've got some good I'll answers um, piling in already. Um, I like this one. It's a little bit of a combination of your example. Um, the number of clicks from login to order completion. Um, That's tracking. good tracking that. Uh, let's see. Um, number of times that the specific, each specific cuisine filter has been used. So tracking which cuisines are attracting the most clicks. That's good. Um, let's see. Uh, they, they're suggesting that the users should browse for more cuisine. So saying if there's a preview of three cuisines, they would want the users to look, Oh, what other cuisines are there? Nice. Uh, I like that. That's a good action. Asking the restaurant to enter a cuisine for their profile um, and kind of- Awesome, yes, good job, restaurant action, nice. Yep, Uh, the restaurant's starting to add categories, um, so they might kind of fall into more than one, perhaps. Uh, That's good. uh, Filtering by price or filtering by cuisine. Uh, Using like like a bring back ordered before or like find similar, right? So if if someone previously ordered Chinese, maybe looking for similar Chinese places. These are good guys. These are a lot of ones that I didn't think of. So I'm very impressed by our audience today. (laughs) These are really great guys. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you guys kind of said a lot of this already. So I don't want to be redundant. Great job. Um, But essentially, what are the different things an end user could do that I care about, right? They click on a cuisine, they get the list of restaurants, they then click on a restaurant, they add to the bag, they place an order. They can also exit the app or unfilter by the cuisine. So if they're exiting the app or unfiltering by the cuisine, then you know maybe we're getting signal that, oh, this isn't something that they like. But if they're you know clicking on the cuisine in the restaurant, but they're not adding items to bag, then maybe that's a signal they didn't really like the restaurant, but they liked the cuisine ribbon, right? So I think one person said this, they said kind of the amount of clicks it takes to get to um, ordering, like placing an order. And that's what I'm really getting at here with this action list. I'm thinking about all of the different steps that a user would do through ordering through this cuisine, whether it's clicking on a cuisine, clicking on a restaurant, adding items to bag, et cetera. So that's exactly what you were getting at. So whoever said that, great job. Restaurants, what are the different things that they could do? And uh, like the person that alluded to this already, great job. You already said tag themselves as the cuisine. So yeah, I'm a restaurant, I'm an Indian restaurant. I choose to put myself in the system as an Indian restaurant. So exactly. They also can make and deliver the order and accept the order, right? Restaurants can also cancel orders or not accept them. So it's important that we're tracking this. So we know that, okay, the restaurant accepts the order and they accept the delivery. You know, if a restaurant puts it up, think about how ways can people gain the system. I always like to think about that as I'm going through this. Let's say I'm, you know, a Italian restaurant, but I want exposure. So I mark myself as Chinese because I have noodles. That's a problem, right? So you want to make sure that you track that restaurants are tagging themselves as the correct cuisine. Speaking of tracking, so we're going to translate those actions now into metrics. So I think a lot of you guys, when we were going through the last stage, already talked about some metrics, so we don't have to spend as much time on this. But thinking about those actions we just talked about, 
what are the metrics, right? What are the actual KPIs that we would want to track for this product launch? Go ahead and throw them in the chat. And remember, what are the things that you want to think about now? You want to think about, is it a number? Is it an average? Is it a percentage? Is this per restaurant or per user? Or is it a total number? And what time frame would you want to track it? Week over week, month over month, et cetera. Put those in the chat. And if anyone's looking for a little bit of inspo, you can scroll back up in the chat from about the last 20, 25 comments. And there is a list of actions um, that everybody just suggested. So you can go back there and check those out if you want to. Um, and I'll leave mine up here too, if you guys perfect, want to take that perfect. for inspo as well. Great catch. <laughs> Uh, all right, we've got some we've got some really good ones. Uh, number of successful orders, absolutely awesome. Uh, let's see, percentage of orders through this feature, through the cuisine feature, out of all orders. I'm in love with that. Person that came up with that, I love that. <laughs> I, exactly I actually right. see that. I see that from a couple different folks who have phrased it differently, but that one, the group is spot Great on. Great job, guys. Awesome. Um, let's see, how many times a restaurant declines an order? Um, click, clicks by cuisine. Um, so which awesome. cuisine is receiving the most, uh, most exposure? Wow. Uh, you guys don't need me. You guys clearly got these guys down. are, these guys are <laughs> pros here. Let's see. Um, time to conversion of orders placed using the cuisine carousel. So how do they good. all the way from the start to when they uh, input payment? That's really good. I didn't even uh, think of that one. Back. <laughs> sales per time period. Um, so do more people order Chinese food at midnight versus people order Italian food at 6 p.m., right? Love that. <laughs> so where are those sales coming from? Average number of clicks to get to a successful order. Oh, there's so many, but I can't stop reading them because they're very good. These are very uh, good, guys. Yeah. You Returning guys are all experts at KPIs. Returning customers. Yeah, retention. That, um, that utilize the filters. So like who who's become awesome. a fan of the cuisine filter. Yep, that's important. Um, and then uh, top restaurant picked per cuisine category. In Oh, that's really good. So who's the most popular Indian food? Who's the most popular Italian food? Awesome. These are uh, great, guys. These are so wow. fantastic. I love these. Cool. All right. So a lot of what you guys already said was on my list. And this is definitely not an exhausted list. These are just the things that were at the top of my head. And that's what's fun about, you know, product and product launches is, you have to really think about the things you care about as a product manager and what you think makes the launch and the app success or whatever feature is successful, right? So it could be a million different things. For me, the things that stood out here were the click-through rate of the Cuisine Ribbon. So essentially out of all the people that are on the homepage, how many users are clicking on the Cuisine Ribbon? I cared about the click-through rate of the restaurant from the Cuisine List. So essentially the person that was saying the thing about the most popular restaurant, that's what this is giving me. When I'm on the Cuisine List with a list of restaurants, how many people are clicking on each of the restaurants, right? And that's a percentage. So number of people clicking on, I don't know, McDonald's over the entire fast food list. Last thing I thought about was the number of orders that originated from the Cuisine Ribbon. So essentially, right, there's going to be a ton of orders that we get per week. How many of these originated from the Cuisine Ribbon versus the ones that actually, you know, came from me clicking on the restaurant I like or coming, going a return order, et cetera. For the restaurants, the restaurant side, right, I want to think about, number of orders that originated from the Cuisine Ribbon, like we said before, for the users. So if I'm a restaurant and I had 100 orders for a week, how many of those came from this actual Cuisine Ribbon, right? That I put myself as a Chinese restaurant. Percent of orders that originated from the Cuisine Ribbon, which is what we just talked about. And the number total number of restaurants with Cuisine Tags. So out of all the restaurants on the platform, how many of them are tagging themselves as Cuisines to show up on this ribbon? Because that shows not only is this a valuable feature to our users, it's a valuable feature to restaurants. 
I love everything you guys said, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. And I would love to add all of your metrics to my list. So thank you very much. I'm going to jump in and ask you a quick question, if you don't mind, Trish, on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There of course. are there are so many great metrics, right? As we've as we've seen from what people have input and from the the thoughts that you have about how to best define this launch. Yes. Are there other stakeholders? outside of the product manager that you would recommend bringing in to try to like filter some of these down? There's, I mean, I feel like Absolutely. if I was doing this, I'd be like, great, we have 8,000 metrics now. We're going to check them all. And obviously that's not appropriate. So who else yes. would you bring in to help you really um, kind of zone in on which ones? That's an amazing question. And I'm so glad you asked that. So there's definitely a few stakeholders that you would want to loop into this process to get help, like thinking about what's important here. For me, in my career, there's been some key stakeholders that I do this with. First, if you're a product manager, you're probably going to have a data analyst or a data science person. That person is your best friend through this entire process. Like they are helping you kind of define these. And they are really the people that are going to help you be like, this is more important than this. You want to track this if this is, you know, your overall goal. I always take so much input from my data scientists and data analysts. Second thing would be like a marketing person, like a like a CMO, if you're at a small company or like a PMM, product marketing manager or something like that. They are really good at having kind of eyes on thinking about what out of these numbers is something that's like shows like that our marketing efforts for the product are working or that it's widespread, right? So they would look at this list and they'd say, yeah, we do care about the click-through rate at the Cuisine Ribbon because if people are clicking on it, that means it's marketed well and that means people know about it. So for awareness, you're really gonna want a marketing person. You're also going to want to have your engineering manager or engineering counterpart's opinion on this as well. They're the ones who built this product, right? They're developing it. And so they usually have some really interesting ideas that you can kind of use to um, put into your ideas and decide like what's important. And then last thing would be like any like key like business stakeholders or like functional partners. So for example, like here, if I was working at like DoorDash, right, I would probably have like an account executive for restaurants that I work with that I could be like, Hey, is this like, does this make sense? Do restaurants care about this? Can you ask them if they care about this? Or you would have a similar UX researcher, right? Somebody that knows who can get inside the user mindset. All of these different stakeholders are going to help you with this. You're not doing it alone. So that's definitely really important. And I'm glad that was a point that um, Georgina, you brought up because one of the things that you'll do is sometimes you'll kind of put all these metrics into a list and you'll have like a little powwow with all these stakeholders that'll kind of help you be like, I like this, I like this. And that's how you come up with an exhaustive list. Great question. Love it. Thank you for the quick, the quick pause on that one. Now I will, now I will uh, leave you to, to our next slide. Okay, so now we're on our last part of the framework evaluations. There are two things that I want you guys to type into the chat for this one. First, what is your North Star metric? What is the one thing that you really care about here that's going to show if your product is successful? Now, remember, North Star, it doesn't stand on its own. There's going to be supporting metrics, but this is like the number one thing. Remember, a good North Star takes into consideration both sides of the market. So the user side and the restaurant side. The second thing I want you guys to put into the chat is counter metrics. How could this be gamed? What are some things that we need to be looking into to make sure that these metrics aren't gamed, right? Those are the two things well, you guys can throw into the chat and then I'll share my thoughts with you. All right, let's see. Um, so we've got some ideas coming in. And again, guys, that's North Star metric and counter metric. Um, yes to see what we've got going on in there. Um, I think people are thinking about this one really thoughtfully. It's so hard to, to narrow it down just to one. It's a hard um, one, guys. It <laughs> is. Don't worry. <laughs> it is. Again, there are no wrong answers, right? That's the cool thing about product is that there's so much different perspective that like different people have. And 
as you go through kind of thinking about what's important to you, it's really interesting to think about other people's perspectives. Because what I think is like the North Star may be totally different than what you think it is. And that's totally fine. So thinking about, you know, what's a metric that shows that this is successful with both users and restaurants? Yeah. Okay. So we've got some North Star metrics coming in. Um, so increase orders placed in less time, right? So the order to time ratio going up. Awesome. Um, I like that. An increase in NPS. Um, so customer and restaurant satisfaction. Awesome. That's really, that's really important to think about. Good that's a good one. Um, let's see. Um, time it takes a customer to complete an order. Uh, as important. well as a percentage of sales through this feature, uh, as well like as percentage of, of orders placed through the feature. That's a, that one seems popular. Beautiful. Um, average number of orders in the cuisine versus normal. Um, nice. Average number spent in the cuisine area versus other kind of search and find locations. These are great. Um, oh, average order value. So average like dollar value. Um, love that. I love yeah. that. Um, and that one was mentioned as it could also be a counter uh, metric where if people are spending very small amounts, okay, they're using it, but they're really not spending awesome. in those. That is awesome. I love that. I'm going to add That's that to cool this when I leave today. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, number of um, abandoned orders from the cuisine. Um, That's cuisine really good. Um, That's really that good. one has Abandoned come, cart. Yes. That one has come up a couple times. Um, so also awesome. looking at how many orders were started but never finished. Um, Amazing. And also yes. Where where in the process did they stop? Um, yeah, that's a perfect counter metric. I really like that because then you could kind of get some insights, right? You're like, oh, people are stopping at like the point where they're adding stuff to the card. So is the restaurant not representing itself correctly in the cuisine ribbon? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then another one for a counter um, mm -hmm. is the views per session. Um, so if you're seeing a lot of views on a particular right. cuisine or on a particular restaurant, but not a, not a lot of orders, or increase in purchases. Yeah. So like the views per purchase. I love that. Cause that'll show you if things are being misrepresented or maybe this feature isn't working. I re that's really creative. I really yeah. like that. Yep. Um, so I think that that's really, that's really the big, um, the big kind of winners and trends that we're seeing here in, in awesome. responses. Um, so let's see awesome. what, what you would offer. Great guys. Like this is seriously awesome. Again, I'm convinced that you don't need me because seriously, these answers are so great. And like, I just, I love hearing like all of your perspectives because it's interesting for me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, I love that. So again, this is why different perspectives are so important. So jumping into what I thought. So my door, sorry, I think a lot of you guys said it. Um, you can either do this with a number or percent. As long as you have the baseline numbers, it doesn't matter. It's showing the same trend and that's what you care about. So mine was number, it also could be percentage of orders that originated from the Cuisine uh, Ribbon Weekly. So basically what I'm interested in here, right? I know that users are benefiting if I have a lot of orders originated from the Cuisine Ribbon because it's helping them find what they want to order. I know restaurants are benefiting because from the Cuisine Ribbon if the number of orders is going up because they're getting maximum exposure, right? So that's why that was my North Star because it shows value to both sides of the market. Counter metrics. I think you guys said a lot of these, so awesome stuff. First thing I thought of was number of canceled orders, right? So if you are placing this order and then you cancel it, technically our North Star would still count that as an order that originated from the Cuisine Ribbon, but really it's not because the person canceled it, something went wrong, right? Second thing is bounce rate of homepage. So if you don't know what bounce rate is, it's essentially exit rate. So if you're on the homepage, what percentage of people are exiting, you know, in a short amount of time, sometimes it's like for a minute. So I think bounce rate is important because if we're adding this new thing to the homepage at the very top, 
and a lot of people are bouncing, it's like, oh, maybe users don't like this, right? That was a thing that we changed. The second, the next thing I had was the unfilter rate of the cuisine page. So if I filter by cuisine and then I undo it, right? Oh, did I not find what I wanted? Let's say I filter by Mexican and I see a bunch of, I don't know, Italian restaurants. I'm like, ooh, and I unfilter it, right? So that's a good counter metric. And the last thing was number of restaurants tagged with the correct cuisine. This might be a more of a manual thing, but essentially, you know, if I'm Taco Bell and I'm tagging myself as Chinese, like something's wrong here. That metric I would consider as something I wrote this year, a step above. And it's cool because a lot of you guys said that. So that's kind of really thinking about how can people game this? I love the ideas that people threw out about order value. Like that was really cool because it's very true. Like if they're only small amounts, like is this something that's really benefiting our business? So again, no idea is a bad idea. And I think that you guys did really great with this case study. And I'm super excited that I hope you guys enjoyed it because I thought it was great. So moving on, uh, the last slide here is kind of post-launch tips and tricks, and then we'll open it up to Q&A. So post-launch tips and tricks, what are the things that you're going to do after a launch, right? To make sure that it was successful and that you're learning from it. And sometimes your launch isn't successful, right? But there are things that you do post-launch regardless, successful or not, to set yourself up for success in the future. First thing is analyzing your metrics. So you're going to want to make sure your metrics are accurate. You're going to want to really look at them every single day after your launch to see if there's anything else that needs to be tracked. Like maybe you missed something to make sure that, you know, you are the metrics that you expect to move are moving, whether they're positive or negative, and to make sure that your tracking is actually set up correctly. Like one time I launched a product when I was working at a CoinDesk and we had no data come in after. And I learned that the proper GA tags weren't set up, so we weren't collecting data. It was really terrifying. We got it fixed, but oh my God, I was like, I don't know how this is performing. You really want to make sure as soon as you launch that you're getting data. The most important thing that you're going to want to do post-launch, success or failure, is to learn from your target market. So you're going to look at the data, right? Let's say we launched this feature and the number of you know, orders coming from this cuisine ribbon is really, really low, right? That's a trend in our data and we want to understand why. So what are some things we could do to understand user feedback on this? I could have a you know, user interview session where I interview a bunch of users and watch them interact with the cuisine ribbon and see why they don't like it. I could lead focus groups. I could have hypotheses on the data and make little iterations to my product and relaunch it. Whatever your method is for doing that, you just need to have a way to do it. Some things I've done in the past to iterate and incorporate user feedback. I've had you know, focus groups, like I said. I've done kind of one-on-one interview sessions where I watch people uh, interact with the product and take notes and understand how to iterate on it. I look at data and I form hypotheses like, okay, maybe if I move the cuisine ribbon to the bottom of the page, it'll perform better. And then I'll do an A-B test where I launch that and see how that performs with the other one. Essentially, right, you're never going to be 100%. Like, you're always going to have more things to iterate on once you launch. The most important thing in post-launch is to set yourself up for success in the future. And you're going to have, like, let's say I launch version one, then you're going to have version 1.2, 1.4. But a little pro tip and some advice, Version one is probably not the first thing you should ever launch. There's something called the MVP, which is a minimal viable product. And usually that's less than version one. It's like a 0.8 or something. But you'll launch that into market, get a feel for how it does, and then use that to launch the full thing, right? There are certain things you can do to keep the feedback loop open, such as surveys and things like that. So you're going to want to do all of that stuff to make sure you're getting feedback and constantly iterating on your product. Whether it's a B2B product, which means, you know, I'm doing products for other businesses, or be to see where the everyday person is using my products. No matter what it is, feedback from your target market is the most important thing, and that should always be what is you know what is the number one thing you're using to inform your roadmap. Cool. So 
So that is everything I had for you guys today. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you guys did too. Thank you so much for coming along this ride with me and we'll open it up for questions. This was so much fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Um, I think that everybody else did as well. So thank you so, so much already. Um, I do have a number of questions here for you. Just a quick reminder for folks on the call, um, pop your questions into the Q&A. Um, that's yes. the easiest place to find it. I've got a couple um, that have come, uh, come in their own way, um, but the Q&A is the best place to organize them. So um, when you are evaluating a a good metric, right? Like a, a metric that you're really excited about. Um, and how are you, how are you kind of placing it back to the original goal um, is the question. And who should really own that original goal? Does it come okay. from leadership? Um, is it something that the product team owns? Um, and how do you kind of report back and place back the metric that connects to the original goal? Awesome. I love that. So usually what you'll do for this is that there is something called like OKR setting that a lot of um, companies will do. So what that basically means is objective key results. So basically the objective is kind of the goal that we talked about. The key result is the metric on how we're going to achieve that goal. Usually you'll have like a few goals like for a product, right? So I'll have like my objectives and my key results, and then they need to be linked, right? You need to see the exact link to them. So to answer the question, it's like, okay, let's say we have this metric or this key result that we talked about with the you know, number of orders. Our original goal was to make sure that more restaurants were getting exposure and more users were getting exposure. So does that you know, actually go back to that goal? Yes, it does. Because the more orders there are, there means from the casino event, it means the restaurants got more exposure and the users were you know, experimenting with more restaurants and more cuisine. So things like that. Also for goal setting, usually at the product level, the product manager will be the one to set the goal, but you probably need to confirm your goal and strategy with leadership. So usually this will happen in the form of like a OKR or leadership review, which actually I had one of those earlier today. But basically what you'll do is you'll have your goal for your product and you'll essentially run that and the key results by leadership to get their buy-in. If they agree with it, you're set to go and you keep going. Um, a lot of times they'll have feedback and tweaks and things you can do to make it better. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a really great question for you as well. Um, what do you do? This is like a little bit more internal politics and dynamics. What do you do when one of mm. your business stakeholders is really pushing you to use swag metrics over quantifiable metrics? Um, and so swag here, um, I believe my, my professional jargon tells me that swag stands for a scientific wild ass guess. Uh, so <laughs> what do you, what do you do? Um, when a business leader is pushing for those swag metrics instead of something that's really quantifiable that, you know, we've gone through this whole process we just practiced today. So honestly, I've been in this position before and it's such a good question. A lot of times what happens at these big companies, like leadership will sometimes try to look good to their boss, just like you're trying to look good to your boss. And so they're like, oh, we need to track these things because they think those metrics are going to move and they want you to put those on the sheet. The best way to kind of anchor in those conversations is listen to the feedback and, you know, be like, okay, we'll consider that, but also be grounded in your assumptions and be like, I think these goals are more, or these metrics are more related to our goal. And here's why. If you could find, you know, they're like swag metrics, they're throwing a connection to the goal. Like there's no harm in adding one. Cause like, you don't want to hurt any feelings, but don't ever add anything unless you think that it's not, unless you know that it's adding value. So Another word for swag metrics, I like to call them vanity metrics, are things that you kind of like to put on paper to show that you're doing a good job. I think that's something that like a lot of people will do. But I think at the end of the day, like you, 
it's not going to better your users or like the product if you just have like vanity metrics on paper that you're moving, right? You need to show that you're actually solving a user problem and that this product is solving the student metrics that you found. So just be firm in your assumptions and always, you know, be open, but be firm in your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, all right. We've got a couple questions that are around this kind of similar topic of launching sure. a real... Um, launches a real team sport. Um, so yeah. starting to think about how do you invite, expect, um, or include uh, the sales team, the marketing team, other folks, like how are they involved in an MVP launch and what would awesome. you want them um, to do or save for like a big, a big splash or do different versions of launches, have different goals. Talk to us about, how, about the team sport of launch. I love that. Like, okay, if you have one takeaway from this conversation, like loop them in and loop them in early. Like there is nothing worse than like you launching and like your stakeholders or other people at the like company not knowing what you're launching or not being involved in it and then being super upset that they weren't included and you don't have the support that you need. So I have an example of this that I can speak to. Like again, when I was at Coindesk, we basically took down our website, created a zero to one website and launched it all over again. That was an editorial website about crypto. So what was really important was that the editorial team, the uh, you know sales team, the monetization ads team, everybody was looped in from the start and knew like exactly you know what we were doing. So I think from the start, like we kind of looped them in and we made sure that everybody had the education that they needed to be one give their input on the product, but two like be trained really well on it and like know you know how to kind of be a vital part of the product and like. That way, if marketing was clued in early, they could market the new website. If sales was, you know, clued in early, they could go sell ads to the new website to show the value it was. Like if the editorial team was looped in early, they would know how to use the new software to publish new articles. So essentially what you need to do is like do that earlier, loop them in. And once you do that, you'll be able to have a launch that's like successful with all these other groups. One thing I do to organize my thoughts around this is a lot of times I'll make a spreadsheet and literally put in all the stakeholders that kind of need to be like, involved in this and I'll have a meeting, you know, at tour, like at different stages of the launch and I'll just make sure they sign off on everything. And that way you're not hurting anyone's feelings and you get the support that you need. That's so smart. I love that. Um, the like accountability, uh, of the sign off totally. Yeah. The accountability is real. And then you have it on paper. So nobody can yeah. be like, Oh, you didn't right. you got, you have the paper trail hundred um, <laughs> yeah. percent. Okay. This is a, this is a really interesting question that I like a lot from Adam, um, who is really curious about your game framework. Um, yeah. Where do you feel in that game framework that PMs kind of fall down a little bit? Um, or maybe <laughs> I love that. which one should they spend more time on? I love that. Okay. I'm going to be totally honest here. It's the evaluation part. So counter metrics, et cetera. Nobody wants to believe that their metric isn't like the best metric and they think it wants to encompass everything. And so as a result, a lot of times what product managers don't do the best at, and even me, I have to work on this a lot early in my career and I still don't think I'm an expert at it. It's thinking about the different ways that my product can be gamed and my metrics can be gamed and like getting all of those on paper. Because at the end of the day, like if you're the product manager and that's your metric, you want to move it. And you don't really think about like, how can this be gamed? Like, how can like this kind of fall apart? And so you really have to become like kind of a deep thinker. And like, this is where it's really important to be familiar with your products because you can kind of think about it from every angle. What would a restaurant do? What would a user do? Like, you know, like how we talked about and that way, like you can really get into that mindset, but it's a tough thing. And I think a lot of PMs are still working on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. 
So kind of similar before, before you get to kind of the end evaluation phase, um, Mm -hmm. what are some of your warning signs or red flags that you've seen in the past that are like, we're starting to like veer off course a little bit. Like this launch might not be going where we want it to. Obviously every PM's worst nightmare is like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's failed. Right. Um, So what are the, what are the warning signs that you look to, to course correct before that happens? That's good. One of the biggest things that you can do is like from warning signs you can look for before launching. So there's two things here. Feedback, feedback, feedback. There's qualitative feedback and quantitative feedback. Qualitative feedback is the thing we were talking about earlier. All the things you do pre-launch, like prototype sessions with users or, you know, interviewing them and researching them and looking at competitors. These are all things you can do like to basically see that you're going to have a successful launch strategy. For example, like when I was working at CoinDesk, we did a lot of research on what competitors like Binance and Coinbase were doing in the market. So we could know, okay, they've had success with this. They've not had success with this, right? So that's the qualitative feedback. Quantitative, this is where A-B testing and testing becomes like your best friend in the world. So before you launch something to 100% of the market, you should probably launch it to 10% and then 15% and then 20%. And the more that you're doing this and gathering feedback in the earlier stages, the better your product's going to be when you launch to 100% of the market. I've had product failure launches before, but the best thing was that I had launched to only 10% of my market. And so I got to fix all of those things and issues that they had before I launched to 100% of the market. So always, always test. Never just blindly launch to 100% of people. It is not going to work. <laughs> um, I think this one, um, I think we might know the answer to this one, um, but I'm curious what you have to say. Um, yeah. Who and how often do you communicate your metrics to? Yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. So who is probably your stakeholders? So everybody we talked about before with like the sales and the data science and the marketing, essentially all of your XFN and like usually leadership is going to want to be clued in on this. How often? So I think it really depends. If you're launching a new product, they're probably going to want metrics on it like at least monthly, right? Because they're going to be like, how are we doing this month? How are we doing next month? Like, et cetera. And it's always better to just like throw these metrics in a dashboard and give everyone the link to the dashboard so that they can look at their data like on their own without you even interfering. The worst thing is like having leadership where people just come to you like every week or every month looking for your metrics. Like the best thing to do is just have dashboards that everyone has access to so they can go dig themselves. And if they have a question, they can come to you. How often if you have a mature product or something that you're like managing that is really like looking at like quarter over quarter, quarterly or like after every half is usually when big metric evaluations happen. So that's usually the cadence unless you're launching something new. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I think that's probably where we're going to wrap it um, because that's such a good kind of stopping point there. Um, There are so many more questions for you, um, but we are at the top of the hour here. So um, thank you everyone very much for joining us. Um, I encourage you to connect with Trish online. Um, Find her on LinkedIn. Yes, please do. Find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. If you've got any of these um, uh, burning questions that you want answered, uh, the other option for you is you can come hang out in Pragmatics alumni community. Um, We've got thousands and thousands of product managers in there that um, are happy to answer questions like this as well. Um, So come hang out with us. Um, And then the very last thing I will share with you is um, if you enjoyed today's session, uh, definitely join us for our next conversation. Callie just dropped the link in the chat. Um, We were talking about why product design collaboration um, is your very best tool for success. So um, you will really love that. Mostly though, Trish, thank you so much. This was so much fun. This was wonderfully educational. I had an absolute (laughs) blast. I think everyone here did too. 
Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, if you just type in Trishna, my full name, T-R-I-S-H-N-A, Sharma into LinkedIn, I should be like the first or second to pop up um, and you'll recognize my face. So yeah, connect with me. If you have any questions, message me. You know, I really enjoy being here today. So thank you guys for having me. And thank, thank you, you so, so much, much Georgina, for helping me with the session. Of course. Of course. This was an absolute blast. We will talk to you all soon. Thank you very awesome. much for joining, gang. Bye.